with a vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today we're talking about the role of a supervisor. Heather, you and I talked about a couple of different important roles that a supervisor plays. One is monitoring the work of a supervisee. Can you think of a time that you acted as a monitor for a supervisee or a time that you were being monitored? Actually, I can think of a time when I was still in my master's program and I worked in a program that had a lot of different requirements and one of them was that we helped clients to know their legal rights. Okay. So I had this great idea. I thought it was so smart. I was really busy as a grad student. Okay. And I had this big caseload and I thought, perfect idea. It's Christmas time. I'm trying to finish finals. And the way that I am going to make sure that everybody understands their legal right is that I'm going to mail everyone a Christmas card so that they understand that they can receive mail. Ah. And I'm going to, in my Christmas card, ask that they respond to me using one of the format that I could check off as officially having communicated with them. I thought that was so smart that I knocked out a ton of work and all I was going to do was write a bunch of Christmas cards and put them in the mail. And I remember that my supervisor um, called me into her office and she went, one, I love how creative you are. Right. <laughs> Two, don't do that again. And I went, okay, I get right. it. Right. <laughs> like, I can see maybe how that wouldn't yeah, really be great. I was cutting corners. I knew it. Right. But she was like, yeah, I appreciate like the idea. Right. I, get, I get where you're going with that. But no. Don't I'm, do that. Can't do that. Uh, can you think of any time? I can think of a time with a supervisee. He wanted to reach out to clients because he was going to be making a transition mm-hmm. to another clinic. Oh, and so he's leaving. Right. But the way that he was going about doing it wasn't exactly like, I'm leaving this clinic and I'm going to be working somewhere else. It was like, I'm leaving this clinic. Come follow me. Oh. Yeah. Big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big whoops. But also, I can see how someone new as a counselor would not know that that wasn't right. that acceptable be... or reasonable, that he would need some monitoring. Right. We do form attachments with our clients. Until we talked about it, hadn't thought about it. Sure. Kind of like me, I think. Right. He thought like, ooh, creative, good idea. I'm right. going to run with it. Right. And he needed someone to tell him, no, in most situations, that is not going to go over well. As the supervisor, but also as a, many times as a supervisee, monitoring work meant making sure things were in on time and done well or, or reasonably well. Things like, I don't think supervisees always know when is a reasonable time within which you should contact a referring provider That's or some other treating provider or how often or what information to communicate. I know that I have needed some support in that, getting paperwork done on time and not my favorite part right. I, of what we do. I see it like checks and balances. Another mm-hmm. set of eyes to make sure, did you follow up on that? Did you do mm-hmm. that one thing? Did you check this out. Sure. I think ultimately it helps with client satisfaction. Yes. With all the child clients that I see, the amount of communication I give parents, the type of communication I give parents really helps me to make sure that my child clients get to continue to come and see me. Right. If the parents felt dissatisfied in that. Or disconnected. Disconnected. Right. uh, I don't know that they would continue to see me as long as I would hope that they would. Or as long 
as I think it will be effective or useful for the kids. Correct. That to me is monitoring Mm -hmm. of work. Heather, you and I also talked about dun 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 gatekeeping. Not something that everybody likes to think about or talk about, but very, very important. Heather, can you think of any times where gatekeeping has been issue or concern or something that you addressed in supervision? Yes. And I'll be honest with you, if I feel that coming up, I like to get out of that supervision role as soon as possible. Oh, you bad wow. Preemptive. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with what's happening or that doesn't seem like sound practice. I did have a situation in which it came down to counting hours and they wanted to count things that were clearly not therapy. So they were really stretching the definition of what was direct and indirect. Right. Cases like that, I find myself going, let's not see this through till I have to get down to that line on our form here in Texas that says, do you have any concerns? Sure. I don't want to ever be in that spot. I hope that before I would get to that spot, I would be able to be preemptive in supervision sessions. I think that's really tough. So you're saying that you would hate to wait till the final hour to say, I just can't agree that you should be able to practice or that you're practicing ethically. I think that's a hard thing for counselors sometimes to be confrontational in that way when something so important is at stake. Have you had to do it? I have. Both working with the university and supervising people towards licensure once they're out of school. And I think clinicians, counselors, supervisors have a difficult time with this at Mm -hmm. all levels. In my master's program and then later working as adjunct with the program, I've been involved in situations where students were advised or counseled out Mm. of master's programs. Oh, wow. Which was, on one hand, legally tricky and a little precarious. You want to make sure that you followed all the steps and and did everything correctly, but also really difficult, really emotional and personal. Mm -hmm. There's no way around whatever their situation is that they have committed a lot of time and money and energy into finishing the degree and to stop them at some point and say, however gently you can, I just think this is something that's not a good fit for you is really hard. Right. And to speak to what you were saying, the sooner the better. I hate to think of a student who gets two years and a summer and a semester in and then a faculty member is saying, I think this might not be a fit for you. Right. It's also tricky because what if in good faith they're a year in and there's some things that they could grow and work on, but you think that they could still do it. It's really a tricky situation to make that call. Definitely would take more than just one person making that call. Or one conversation. I was thinking, Heather, you said that you have had conversations with supervisees where you say this might be a time where we part ways. Is that more than one conversation? Yeah, it builds up. I, I try to be very honest with my supervisees. If I don't see something the way they see it, that does not mean they are wrong. It mm-hmm. just means I don't agree with that. Now, there are other times we may not see things eye to eye and it comes down to the law where I can say, no, I'm right mm-hmm. and you are wrong. But I try and have those conversations over a period of time so that when we do have the conversation, our time together is not serving either one of us well. They're not shocked. Okay. So to be really upfront, direct, transparent, this isn't helping both of us. If this isn't helping each one of us to meet a goal, then it's not what either party There's committed no to. I mean, we're talking around the idea of a remediation plan. And in school settings and outside of school, I have used remediation plans with supervisees. I think that's my way of doing what you're talking about, that I would talk about what steps need to be taken to resolve the concern. And then ultimately, are they willing and ready to take those steps? And then for me, that might be when we start talking about, then this might be a time where we part ways. Right. I would never want a supervisee to just walk in one day for supervision and be told, well, I don't really want to help you anymore. I can't. It's outside my scope. You know, those should all be conversations you're having along the way. I think you and I are both saying for the supervisee, but for the supervisor as well, to just feel like it was all of a sudden without any acknowledgement of a concern or a problem means that you you don't have time to address it and right. that there's not 
not an opportunity for growth there or new learning. Discussing it leaves room for that. Right. Heather, you and I also talked about the role of a supervisor being an overseer of the supervisor's clients. Our supervisees and interns must tell their clients that we are their supervisors. If you've ever had to reach out to a client, they actually know who you are or why you're contacting them. Mm-hmm. In some of my experiences, I have contacted my supervisee's client to say, I am supervising this counselor. If mm. there should be a problem, please let us know. I've never done that. Can you give me an example of a time where you did speak to a supervisee's client? Yes. And the supervisee was aware. I mean, sure. it wasn't like a hidden agenda, mm-hmm. but it was a situation where they were working in a clinic, but I was not a supervisor at that clinic. So they had a supervisor they reported to on the day-to-day mm-hmm. work life. Management concerns. Right. And I was their supervisor in a clinical capacity. And it was actually a request by the supervisor that was on site that that mm. happened. Wow, that's complicated. In many ways. Times where I can see myself stepping in and providing some oversight would be if through supervision, I felt like the client wasn't getting the care that they needed. And an example that I think comes up with the kinds of clients that I work with and the types of clients that my supervisees in the past have worked with would be a decision about level of care. Absolutely. If they need to go into an inpatient program or mm-hmm. something that's more intensive. I think it then turns into how to facilitate a discussion of that. But you're right that there are symptoms or behaviors that help to make a decision like that and that a supervisee might need some guidance right. around doing that. And that ultimately that supports the client in their safety. So that, that's time where I might provide more specific oversight. And I think it's a time where it's really important. Right. little on topic and a little side topic. I've actually been contacted by my supervisee's client. They were ending sessions and they had been very thankful for their counselor mm-hmm. and they knew I was supervising. So they just kind of wanted to give them a good pat on the back that, you know, they had a good experience mm-hmm. with that supervisee. Mm-hmm. Not that this is what happened, but it does bring to mind, Heather, an example I have of some poor oversight. Okay. As an LPCI had a couple of different supervisors and actually a couple of different states. And one of my supervisors, we've been processing and talking about a difficult work environment. One of my managers, separate from my supervisor, my supervisor didn't work at my site. One of my managers called my supervisor without a release. Oh. I had not asked them to communicate, didn't want them to communicate. They had a long conversation and my supervisor encouraged her to reach back out with any other uh, concerns, feedback. That was the end of my relationship with that supervisor. I'm hoping so. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't feel good. It wasn't the kind of oversight I was wanting. And I think it really would have been very different if my supervisor and I had had that conversation beforehand. Absolutely. If my supervisor had said, how would you like me to handle this situation? Or if this were to happen, this is how I would typically handle this situation and allow me to either respond or to ask her to do something different. I think that that would have made the difference for me. Yeah. Uh, Heather, another role of the supervisor is developing counseling skills, helping a new supervisee to develop counseling skills. We're constantly learning to monitor our own self response to things with clients. So we need to model that and teach that to our supervisees. Heather, I know our listeners are interested in activities or specifically ways that that happens. Can you think of some things that you do in supervision to help a supervisee develop their skills? Often I ask them, what were, what more did they need? If they're telling me about an intervention they've done with a client, asking them the next step. So what more did they need or what could they have got out of that intervention? I can think of a time where a supervisee of mine was working with a sibling set and they played a game and they had lots of good questions. And at the end of it, I said, so was that effective? Did you get out of it what you needed? 
And she looked at me and she goes, no, mm-hmm. but I got something else that I didn't know out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we so kind of processed that. It went in a different direction than she anticipated, right. but it doesn't mean it wasn't useful. I can think as a supervisee, I had a supervisor that uh, used Santray occasionally in supervision. And I feel like I really got a lot out of it for multiple reasons. I feel like one, it helped me to see how she used Santray okay. and to benefit and learn how I might then use Santray in a session. But also it was beneficial to me that it allowed me to process in a different way. I think it, just like it does in a counseling session, created a different level of interaction between she and I. Right. Different Uh, way to communicate what you both needed to process and make supervision effective. I do remember thinking the very first time that she introduced Santray into a supervision session, what are we doing? (laughs) Why? "Mm, Yeah. How's this going to work? It was really beneficial to me. I really enjoyed it. Heather, another part of this idea of that as a supervisor, we are helping supervisees to develop their counseling skills. What is your opinion on the importance of having the same theory or perspective as your supervisee? I think it can be helpful, but I don't think it's always necessary. If you know what theory they're working from as a supervisor, you should be able to flex a little bit. I can think of a supervision session with a new intern and it was her second, maybe third session with me. And she was talking about a case and I kind of thought I knew where she was coming from. She said, well, I'm on session number four. So, you know. And mm. I went, uh, you thought, I don't know. Right. What does that mean in any theory? Sure. <laughs> I am quickly trying to think what theory or what perspective would that fit well with? Maybe like a trauma-focused CBT? She actually worked at an agency that did a lot of CBT with kids, worksheet-based. I agree with you. The supervisor needs to be open and flexible if they're going to work with someone who has a different theoretical perspective than they do. I think it also is asking the supervisee to be flexible and open, but I think it's really practical because you'll have plenty of clients who don't have the same worldview that you have. So I think it's good experience, good practical application. I do think that there could could be a scenario in which a supervisee has a perspective that I would then say, I think I'm not the right supervisor for you. Yeah, I can see how that would be possible. I'm sure even just through listening to our podcast and not ever having been in supervision with me, probably guess I'm not really behavioralistic. And so if I had a supervisee who said, I want to be really behavioralistic, I would say, I know about that and can do that, but I probably am not the supervisor for you if you're telling me that you maybe are not that open to other perspectives as well. Back to that that initial interview, definitely a question that needs to come into play. How flexible are each of you Mm -hmm. in discovering those type things Mm -hmm. about how you do your practice? And Heather, we're talking a lot about theory, but the idea that I presented was, what if you have a supervisee that has a different perspective or theory? What if you have a supervisee that wants to work with a population that maybe you don't know very much about or you don't really work that well with? Would that be a time that you might say, I might not be the person to help you develop your counseling skills right. in this area. I want to work with supervisees that have a like set of clients that I would have. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. not all of them, maybe not identical situations, but enough that if they came to me and said, well, I really want to work more in addictions and well, I don't work with that population a ton. Mm-hmm. So I might say, well, why would I yeah. be your supervisor? There's probably someone better versed for you to see for supervision. Sure. You know, I've had supervisees come to me and say that they have a ton of experience in one area, but they are interested in 
in getting the, the play therapy credential. And so they know that they've already got support and, and experience in other areas, but now they'd like to focus on this one thing. I think that is practical and works well. And I end up learning a lot from those supervisees. So that's kind of fun too. Right. Maybe a supervisor who has mostly worked in private practice or outpatient settings, supervising someone who works in a program for higher levels of care, maybe like a day treatment program, right. a hospital. I can see how unless the supervisee was getting support and clinical feedback from someone else, that might be a tough end. It could be very confusing. Maybe there's an opportunity there for that supervisee with the help of their supervisor to seek out additional support. Right. So it doesn't mean it has to be the end of a supervisor relationship, but just you might have to think outside the box and like we said, be more flexible. Absolutely. Today we talked about the role of the supervisor. Our discussion came from the Association for Play Therapies magazine, Play Therapies recent article, Creating a Sounding Board that Resonates Beyond the Basics. Today we'd like to thank one of our dedicated listeners. They're listening all the way from France. Thanks for listening every week. We would love to hear from you. Please leave us a review or drop us a message on Instagram or Facebook. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.